the Law and Justice Podcast. Today, I have a very special episode and I have a very special guest here. Um, today's episode is law, sex work, and social justice. And I have my guest from Indiana University. And I'm going to say hello to Professor India Tusi from Indiana University. Hello, ma'am. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. All right. It's a very, very good opportunity for me to have you on my podcast. And I'm really very, very impressed and inspired to see your uh, work. I had a look on your um, article and other works. So this is actually very much helpful uh, to learn about social justice, um, gender equality, and how women are always being victimized everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, well, so um, first I would like to give a short introduction about uh, Professor Tusi. Um, she's a professor of law from Indiana University and she's also a senior scientist from Kinsey Institute and she's really working great. Um, her research examines social hierarchies related to policing race, gender, and sexual behavior. Her work has been featured in Harvard Law Review, The Hill, Politico, NYU Law Review, Ivone, and beyond. So I would like to uh, learn more about her uh, exclusive work, I must say, very crucial uh, work for us, for our societies, for women empowerment, for gender equality, for human rights. So um, please tell us um, a little bit about your career, about your work, and uh, how you uh, actually feel about your work. Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a law professor at Indiana University Bloomington Maurer School of Law. I'm also a senior scientist with the Kinsey Institute. And I'm actually the first professor who had joint positions at both um, institutions. And why that's significant is because my research really focuses on law and human rights and civil rights, but also yeah. looking at issues particular to sexuality, gender, as you mentioned, gender equality. Yeah. And one of the ways I've done this is by looking at the policing and criminalization of sex work. Yeah. But just to take you back a little bit, before I became a professor, I actually started my legal career working as a civil rights lawyer at the American Civil Liberties Union. Oh. And when I was there, I worked um, in the racial justice program. I did work focused on policing issues as well as issues around how um, children of color, black and brown children were being policed in schools. Okay. And after that, I worked for a couple of judges who, who really embraced the human rights vision of the world. Yeah. And you know, from, from that experience, I knew I wanted to do even further studies. And I mm -hmm. did some studying in, in South Africa, again, focused on this issue of policing, but really homing in on the issue of policing of sex work and looking at gender, feminism, and, and human rights. And so, you know, my, my research is really pulling together these different topics that aren't always pulled together because you have policing scholars, 
but they yeah. don't necessarily bring like a feminist lens to the issues yeah. that they're looking at. They don't necessarily focus on policing and sex workers, or often it's just a, an add-on as opposed to being the primary focus. And right. so bringing a gender perspective and lens to think about what could be some of the harms of policing, although people often think of policing as a source of protection, what are the risks when we have additional policing of marginalized groups? Right. And I was really so um, uh, impressed when I um, uh, read uh, the paper, especially your work on, uh, I actually um, read some of your uh, articles. Uh, They're very resourceful, uh, very much. And um, I, I found it very helpful because uh, I actually never uh, found so um, like feminist uh, uh, type of uh, pieces uh, um, focused on uh, like sex workers, policing, and how uh, racism is also connected there. Um, yeah, this was really something new for me, uh, though I am um, also a legal researcher, but um, I actually uh, never did um, like my research on that uh, perspective of that uh, specific topic. So um, actually I'm uh, very interested and hopefully I'm going uh, to go through all of your articles very soon. <laughs> and especially um, uh, as a person, I'm also um, an advocate of human rights. So I really love it uh, to learn more about this. Okay, so yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so why policing, sex work and white supremacy are interconnected issues. Yeah, so, you know, the reason I focus on policing sex work is that it actually is an interesting area to look at how hierarchies and expectations around gender, sexuality, women, sex all come together and the ways that it's being regulated. And so, you know, looking at the policing of sex work, I saw how police officers' expectations around how women should act impacted how they interacted with the different women, because it was mostly women I um, interacted with as sex workers, how they interacted with the different classes of sex workers. So for example, one thing I observed is that for sex workers who embodied more of this, more of a European and wider beauty standard, they actually received a more benevolent form of policing. Officers would refer to them as being more professional. They would use, speak, about them in terms that were more hygienic. Whereas for sex workers who are darker or who they would deem as being foreign in the context of South Africa and South Africa where there's xenophobia, foreign often may refer to other parts of African countries where people are just as presumed to have darker skin. Those sex workers were allowed to experience neglect from the police or police officers said they didn't wanna enter those spaces. And so, you know, it was interesting to see the ways that the you know, police is not just motivated by protecting and serving the public, but these other sorts of social hierarchies in society play out in the policing tasks and in ways that can be unpredictable, right? And that aren't about really um, reducing crime, but just about, you know, really protecting these different hierarchies we have in society. Definitely. Yeah, I also um, uh, found uh, lots of information, um, especially on South African context, actually. Uh, mm -hmm. I, had, I had my first um, 
podcast episode on South African um, uh, context, actually. Anyway, so I did uh, some research on human rights, um, uh, racism, you know, colorism, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, actually, there is a huge uh, discrimination everywhere uh, just because of color. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like throughout the globe, you can see that, you know, some of it is because of colonialism and part of the Mm -hmm. colonialist project was to really preserve that hierarchy and reward people because of, you know, lighter skin. And that's Mm -hmm. how, you know, colonists kind of operated and kind of built that into the legal system. And, you know, some of it is just, you know, cultural influence, but you do see, you know, colorism throughout the, throughout the globe. Right. Yeah. And uh, even in, um, I, I also made some uh, episodes on um, colorism, racism. So it's even in African countries where, uh, like, as you said, uh, darker and lighter colors, even in um, uh, black communities, uh, as I learned, uh, the whiter among the dark, uh, dark skin uh, communities, uh, even like discriminate other groups. Yeah. And yeah. somehow they are also privileged uh, in some uh, cases, uh, in some context. So this yeah. is how, uh, this is actually colorism, like the same uh, social group uh, actually discriminating. So Absolutely. yeah, even in uh, Asian countries, in Indian uh, uh, subcontinent, colorism uh, is extremely, extremely, uh, I must say it's alarming because uh, most people are actually uh, of uh, a kind of a darker uh, uh, skin and uh, some are of lighter um, skins anyway. So colorism is a part of everyday life as I'm from um, an Asian country uh, actually. Uh, however, I'm living in the UK. So uh, I know Colorism is extremely prevalent there in, in Indian society, in Asian societies, anyway. So why no, policing? Yeah. So no, why, po- yes, please, please tell me. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I was, I was just going to mention, I actually have a, a colleague, um, Professor Kevin Brown, who had done some research in India. And okay. you know, part of his, the focus of his research was working with the Dalit community there. And I think one of the primary focuses was, you know, dealing with racism and colorism within India and the discrimination that that population was was finding. And what was interesting for him, he was observing the ways that they were connecting to some of the struggles that people in the U.S. were having around, you know, racism and colorism, and they were yeah. connected to those um, readings and those leaders. Right. Yeah, even uh, uh, there are many uh, like incidents where just because of you know darker um, skin color, uh, especially women are victimized and mm-hmm. women are uh, uh, even killed after their marriage uh, mm-hmm. by their uh, in-laws, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, family members, and uh, sometimes they are divorced, sometimes they are uh, kind of humiliated. Uh, so this is how uh, colorism works and. In every uh, uh, like uh, situation, or for anything, actually, women, girls are the worst victims everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, why policing and sex work? 
are your key research interests? I guess I, I had long had an interest in policing in particular. Um, I was interested in policing because, you know, I grew up in New York um, yes. and it was during a time of, I think, the drug war and just a real sense that there was this heightened um, criminalization that was happening against, you know, Black communities in particular. And I observed, you know, some of the harms of policing and knew that that was something I wanted to help to address. And so I had long had this history of being interested in criminal law and policing. And I decided to focus on sex workers because, you know, when I got to South Africa, I wasn't sure if it would be focused on policing and some other issue, but I was reading these reports of, you know, police abuse of sex work, sex workers, and it wasn't getting that much focus from um, other scholars. And so I decided to look into the issue and I found it was one where you could find these issues around, you know, feminism, human rights, you know, gender that really weren't being focused on by policing scholars. And so I decided that that would be an area um, for me to kind of explore. And you know, it's kind of been an area that I've continued to do research in and have continued to be interested in. Definitely. And I'm more interested and hopefully uh, uh, I will um, promote your contents, your work through my podcast platforms, from my uh, social media platforms, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Oh, thank you. And, and uh, it is also uh, an opportunity for me to learn more about this because, uh, as I already mentioned, I, I never did um, like any specific research on this area. So definitely, I'm going to learn more about this. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so uh, do you think sex work should be decriminalized? And if yes, why? I think it should be decriminalized probably in most contexts. And the main reason for this is that the harms that come from criminalization are far worse than any harms that might be connected to sex work. And so the reason I, I feel this way is because when you criminalize it, you end up forcing sex work underground, you don't eradicate it, and you end up you know, creating these situations where sex workers may be victimized, right? And so what I found during the course of my research was that when sex workers did not feel comfortable going to the police to report incidents of violence, for example, um, they ended up being more vulnerable, right? And when the police decided that they were gonna focus on arresting sex work clients or arresting sex workers, it just created more precarity, it created a more dangerous situation. So I think you know, decriminalization is really just a first step, right? So for people who are concerned with the harms connected to sex work, you know, what you can focus on is you know, how do we ensure that people have their basic needs met, right? How do we provide more housing? How do we provide access to childcare? How do we provide exactly. these things that, you know, where people who don't want to be engaged in sex work actually yeah. have their needs met, as opposed to targeting them for criminalization and policing, which, you know, is not an effective way of dealing with social problems. Yes, right. So um, about criminalization, actually, um, uh, I learned about, uh, from Indian context, actually, uh, I learned that uh, even police are actually taking advantages from the sex workers. 
but uh, when when they need money, they are um, like torturing them. When, when yeah, uh, they actually in, in Indian context, in Asian context, uh, so far as I know, uh, even the police um, actually uh, take bribes from them. And if they can't uh, like afford, uh, if they deny or anyway, so they are actually tortured, they're arrested. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you see the same thing, you know, you see similar stories in South Africa, and I'm currently doing some research on the history of how it's been policed in the United States. And it's the same thing in the United States as well, in terms of there being a lot of corruption or police, you know, taking bribes from sex workers or, you know, creating these, you know, really kind of dangerous and fragile situations where yeah. they're exploiting um, sex workers. Or even, you know, I, what I think is really terrible, where police officers are you know posing as clients and then going forward with a transaction, right? Yeah. And then yeah. arresting a sex worker after after the fact, which I think is just you know horrific. Definitely. Okay. Um, so, what do we think about sex trafficking and the role of law and police uh, to combat this crime and ensure social and racial justice? Well, I think sex trafficking has been, um, you know, is not prohibited. I think sex trafficking, obviously any type of trafficking, so whether it's sex trafficking, other forms of labor trafficking, trafficking of people who are you know, forced to work in mines or in um, farms or and, and, and any sort of forced um, labor that people have to engage in need to, needs to be eradicated and, and dealt with and people need to be taken out of those situations. Now, what I've found, at least through the research I've done, is that criminalizing all sex work, though, is not a way to really be able to target sex trafficking. And so where you find is that in places where there's decriminalization, those sex workers who are usually closest to the situation, who know who's been trafficked, are yeah. able to report that to police or social welfare agencies and really be the ones who are able to make that connection. Now, yes. if they're forced and isolated and marginalized so much where they can't you know, really engage with state actors to report these incidents, it becomes yeah. a lot more difficult to identify and find when someone's a sex trafficking victim because everything ends up being forced underground. And yeah. so I do think, you know, even though I think that, you know, sex work should be decriminalized, I don't think we should tolerate sex trafficking as really, yeah. you know, something else, which is, you know, where someone's being forced due to yeah, yeah. fraud or coercion or, right. you know, any, any sort of situation where it's not consensual, um, you know, yeah. that definitely should not be um, tolerated. And I think if we want to focus on that, we should really focus on that specifically. Right. So I actually did um, my research, uh, my uh, LLM um, uh, dissertation anyway. So there I actually um, I did some research on sex trafficking uh, and how women are being victimized uh, and not being helped by the uh, human rights organizations. So um, there I actually learned um, uh, more about uh, how uh, women are being forced uh, to have their career in sex uh, uh, work, uh, which is totally, totally forced. They, uh, I actually learned about Indian um, uh, women, uh, Asian women, uh, 
So uh, my research were, work was uh, actually on uh, that context. I mean, Indian context anyway. So I did some uh, comparison. Uh, so yeah, this is just horrific. Like, uh, especially girls are being victimized. So they they are told that um, they will have a job in maybe garment industry or maybe in beauty industry, but ultimately um, they are actually first. They are mm -hmm. sold even uh, in like um, different areas. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I you know we want to eradicate all forms of, of trafficking. And I think, you know, the ways that we do that is build structures where people feel comfortable being able to identify and know that they will get assistance, not arrest you know, when they when they identify themselves as being sex trafficking victims. In the context of the U.S., there are these situations where people yeah. say they were sex trafficking victims and they end up being arrested. Mm -hmm. I even learned of this, you know, one crazy situation where someone was accused of being um, of sex trafficking themselves, <laughs> right? Oh. That they, you know, identified as a, I believe as a victim, and then they were oh. arrested as sex trafficking themselves, which is so absurd, right? It's counterproductive, yeah. and you know, not the point or the goal. And so, you know, really ensuring that our laws are working for us and not against, you know, the people that we're trying to 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 empower. Yeah, definitely. I uh, saw your your um, recent publication. How about that? Your recent book. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. So my recent book, um, "Policing Bodies: Law, Sex Work, and Desire," is about the policing of sex work in Johannesburg, South Africa. Yeah. And so in the book, you know, what I found was, you know, pretty interesting. I I actually entered my research not with a particular approach to sex work in minds. I didn't necessarily yeah. support yeah. decriminalization. I didn't necessarily support criminalization. I, I was actually pretty ambivalent when I went into the research. But mm -hmm. from doing the research a couple of years with both police officers and with sex workers. So I did have um, you know, official approval with the police department. I got to join them on patrols. I also got to do interviews and work with sex workers. And from doing that research, you know, what I've come to conclude is that I think decriminalization is the preferred approach. And the reason for that is, you know, police are charged with, you know, violently often enforcing the law. They're there, they are armed. And so when you put them in contact with marginalized groups, you can create the situation where there can be violence or there can be, you know, unnecessarily, um, or unintended consequences as a result of frequent police interactions. The police officers I spoke with themselves actually favored an approach that would be more decriminalization, which I, I found interesting, right? And so if the police themselves recognize that perhaps they're not the right ones to be dealing with this particular um, social issue, um, yeah. I think that's really significant. And so yeah. the research was over a couple of years um, you know, I, I advocate for this approach around decriminalization or at least provide some evidence in terms of, you know, why it's preferred based off of what I observed. Then I also spoke about feminism and human rights and 
you know, what does it mean to take a feminist approach to this issue? What does it mean to protect the human rights of sex workers? And, you know, taking that lens, I think the approach where, um, you know, we respect their rights, where we don't put them in these dangerous situations and create these situations where there can be conflict with the police and where we kind of focus on providing for people's needs as opposed to ways to um, criminalize them and police them um, would be preferred. Okay. So um, do you want to share any experience from your career, your research work? Sure. Um, I guess, you know, I'm trying to think of an uh, interesting experience um, from my career. I guess, you know, one one point from my career, and I, I think it's connected to this book, is the time I spent uh, working at the Constitutional Court of South Africa. Okay. And so that court is the highest court in South Africa, yeah. and it's charged with um, interpreting its constitution. And it's the constitution that was um, adopted after the end of apartheid it was a constitution okay. that embraces human rights and it was you know often described as being the most progressive constitution um, yes. in the world um, because it it had explicit recognition of socioeconomic rights like a right to education a right to health care um, right. and it was it was quite comprehensive and so i actually wanted to work in that court to see how a domestic court could incorporate human rights into the ways that the it, it would govern its citizens and the ways that it would interpret the laws concerning its citizens. And you know, that experience was you know really formative for me. You know, I got to learn a little bit more about South African law, the South African context, human rights generally. So just yeah. perspectives on different approaches to human rights. What are some of the weaknesses, for example, in the US system as compared yeah. to what I observed in South Africa? Um, they use comparative law, so we're able to look at the law of different jurisdictions, different countries, as a way of interpreting, you know, what would apply in South Africa. And so that 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 was a really great experience, and you know, really great for you know someone who's recently come out of law school and is looking to to you know learn something and, and do something in human rights. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so uh, finally, I would like to uh, learn um, more about um, your opinion uh, about uh, your work anyway. So do you have any message to women, feminists and the sex workers? Yes, you know, I think that we're at a moment where we can start thinking about a form of abolition feminism a feminism that will be focused on supporting women, supporting you know, girls, supporting everyone who identifies as being female and you know, really dismantle the systems that put them into vulnerable situations right. and really move away from systems that have been causes of violence and harm, including policing and criminalization of the right. activities that those people are engaging in. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, collectively we can only change. Uh, and uh, right now we see women empowerment, um, uh, body positivity, uh, uh, so many things. Uh, but mm-hmm. ultimately, women are victimized everywhere in media, in fashion, in corporate world, even in academic um, institutions. 
in religious uh, uh, places, anyway, in workplace, everywhere. So uh, hopefully things will change uh, more or less anyway. And we can hope for the better anyway. Yeah. Yeah, we can day by day, we can be optimistic about the, the future, although we can be acknowledge the weaknesses of, of the present, but hopefully that optimism from the future is what can carry us. Yeah, definitely. We can hope so. And uh, as individual, as community, actually, we have to cooperate. We have to um, uh, help empower women. Uh, since women uh, have been for a long time being victimized, being uh, like confined, and they were uh, uh, not given opportunities to uh, prove themselves, to uh, uh, prove their uh, skills, and still, still there are like cultural stereotypes still uh, present in, in like uh, even in developed countries. Many women or many girls are uh, being victimized, being uh, like controlled. Uh, mm. So not just in developing countries or not just in like religious, um, I mean, communities. So I think from every corner, we have to raise our voice. We have to uh, create public awareness uh, to promote ourselves, to promote our work, good work and to promote women empowerment, human rights, gender equality, social justice. Exactly. So, yeah. So thank you, uh, ma'am, for your time. And definitely is one of my um, greatest episodes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your valuable time and uh, such a great um, opinion, discussion, anyway. So I hope we can work uh, later again if you're interested. And I'll be happy to um, uh, share your contents uh, and promote your contents because I, I, I really love it. And I think uh, women, as uh, you're working for, um, uh, like, uh, for the rights of sex workers and you're talking about feminists, so I think we all have uh, so many resources here in your work, in your book, in your articles, journal articles. So we, we can learn a lot from your work. This is something that we really should address. We really should discuss. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. All right. Thank thanks. You. you too. Thank you.